0: The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Shall we begin? Smiling the suspicious person.
1: You won't know
2: who to trust. Let's begin. Welcome back, fellow spy nerds, to the Spies Like Us podcast. That is, of course, the podcast where we discuss the representation of tradecraft on screens, large and small. I'm
1: Todd. And I'm Fred. Hi, nerds. I'm Fred.
2: Yes, Uh,
1: What are we talking about tonight, Fred? Uh, 007. A little different this time. He's kind of gone rogue. And it's called License to Kill.
2: Yeah. Uh, Timothy Dalton joint. So this will be our fourth bond that we've discussed on the podcast, if if I haven't lost count. Uh, This this one in particular is a 1989 film, uh, Contemporary Fiction in the 007 Universe featured agencies as always of course we've got our fictionalized version of mi6 also fictionalized versions of the cia uh the united states drug enforcement agency uh hong kong narcotics enforcement is also involved mm-hmm. uh high level hong kong triad members make an appearance although they're not uh, critical to the plot of the film Every,
1: everyone um, but th- yeah. everyone everyone but thrush <laughs>
2: Everyone but Trush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, our Our Bond, our Bond villain, a little less of a supervillain than than we're uh, used to from the James Bond stuff. Uh, he's a South American narcotics kingpin with an extensive network of agents, informants, and assassins.
1: Although the one uh, Bond gimmick. Um he has is his iguana that he pets you know Blowfield and his uh, cat you know right. so I, I think that's a nod to the obligatory james bond villain with a a pet you know to pet
2: they wanted to yeah they they wanted to do something like the but the villain usually it's a physical it's a physical defect of some kind and yeah. here i think it would probably be Unkind to imagine that they're supposed to be suggesting that his acne scars are a physical deformity. We wouldn't want to think uh, that. But he was cast because of them, because they were specifically, um, I mean, that was a, a big reason he was cast. They were specifically trying to uh, uh, give us a feel of Manuel Noriega.
1: Mm. Yeah, because it uh, was set yeah. in Panama, the isthmus of Panama. So, yeah, mm-hmm. right? Definitely. Mm-hmm so 1989 we're talking
2: about uh pretty much the height of uh the reagan and, and bush uh war on drugs era where uh you know drug dealers were our our villains of choice uh it was it was always always in the news starting to hit in popular culture um carlos rivas the head of the Columbo- Colombian Medellin cartel uh, was arrested in 1987. Um, so that had just happened. And uh, we uh, don't find out the nationality of our villain, who is played, I think, very nicely by Robert Davi. We're going to talk a little bit about him. Um, but uh, that, that's what he's supposed to represent, is probably the head of the Medellin. The Medellin, we talked about uh, in Sicario, uh, that is the, uh, that is the, the very famous Pablo Escobar. Yeah. That is the, like the proto cartel. Um, that's, that's the one that all the future cartels, uh, were modeled on. Uh, it is now defunct. Um, uh, but, uh, very much influential, um, influential and pioneering in the systematic use of, uh, of brutal assassinations. Uh, to enforce compliance.
1: Yeah. And I think um, that's another big difference in this rather than fictionalized um, villain organizations like specter or thrush you have, as you say, the Medellin cartel and the Contras are mentioned, which is a real life bunch of kind revolutionaries from Nicaragua that the CIA supported. Um, so in that way, this kind of leans more toward modern day history uh, as far as villains go, not so much Spectre or Thrush and some other fictionalized take over the world um, organization. Right, definitely,
2: definitely not living in a volcano. This guy, um, <laughs> <laughs> and and no, no, no plans to like nuke nuke the entire world's population and flee to the moon. Yeah. Um, so how did you how, how did that land how did that land with you? It's a much more grounded villain. Mm-hmm. Actually, let me ask this, too. Let me ask this, too. What's your history with this film? Had you seen it before we... I don't down? remember.
1: I don't remember if I did or not, but I, it was worth a, a, a see again about it. And uh, like I say, the novelty of it being uh, gone rogue, right? And it wasn't Ooh. sanctioned by M. So I just get the feeling that he's making it up on his own, right? Kind of going through that. Right. I also... Got shade, There's definitely shades of Thunderball throughout the whole movie with the underwater uh, skin diving, scuba diving, and uh, fighting underwater, uh, mini submarines, uh, spear guns, uh, air hoses ripped out of the enemies, uh, sabotage of the ship, of the boat. So there's a lot of Thunderball influence in this. I don't know if you've ever seen awful- Thunderball. I haven't seen
2: Thunderbolt, but there's also a lot of underwater stuff in the Roger Moore film that we covered, which was The Spy Who Loved Me, if mm. I'm not mistaken. No, no, that's no, there's from Russia with Love. I don't remember which Roger Moore we did, but it was the one that had the submarine car. Okay, I have not seen a whole lot of uh, James Bond films myself. I hadn't seen this one before.
1: I saw them I had growing all- up, growing up as a kid. We watched them. I remember they were rated M, right, before, which is kind of like the equivalent of PG-13 now. And the Bond movies were oh, really? rated M. Yeah, yeah. And I thought mm-hmm. I was a big deal when I could get into those, you know, when I was a kid. Okay. Yeah. But uh,
2: I think it's it's just one of those things, it's, it's kind of always said, because this guy, this guy, Timothy Dalton, he only gets two, two bites at the apple.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so he's one of the lesser known Bonds. But it's always been one of those things where, like, you'll always hear people say, like, you know, the Timothy Dalton movies actually kind of s- some of the w- were some of the better ones um, in people's opinion, even though he's n-
1: not considered to be like the best James Bond himself. Yep. Um, right. And, and and the other thing, as you see that I put down there, as much as this has huh, some serious uh, historical references and great action scenes. It has its share of camp, too. It really does. Like that uh, oh. Mar fight, you know, that's going on where she's wielding the swordfish as a weapon. <laughs> yes.
0: And the stri- stripper
1: Sorry. keeps dancing during the whole fight. <laughs> and the whole Wayne Newton thing is, is pure camp, you know, where he's going along and he's not putting up too much of a fight and saying, bless you. And Bond water skiing behind the seaplane. There's enough camp in there that uh, it keeps it light.
2: It is. It is sprinkled in. Actually, the first sequence that comes before the titles, uh, where he uh, he uh, what uh, dangles from a helicopter and and basically uh, wraps a towing cable around the tail of an airplane, and then parachutes in in time, like just in time to make it for the wedding, like at the last minute,
1: get me um, to the church on time.
2: Yeah, that. All felt very
1: Roger Moore-y. Well, um, every Bond was, especially the Moore ones, was supposed to always had a breathtaking opening scene, right? So that was their nod to that. Got yeah. You got it. Right. Um, but
2: I didn't really like that part that much. And uh, as the movie progressed and as it started to get more serious... I've really started settling in and saying, hey, this this movie is taking uh, taking this kind of stuff much more seriously than a lot of Bond films do. I am going to go out on a limb right now. Of course, it's at the end of the podcast that we um, give our final uh, rating on the accuracy of the tradecraft. But I'm going to go ahead and say right now, I think this is the most realistic Bond film I've seen. And mm-hmm. that even includes The Craigs.
1: Yeah, um, The acting, I thought, well, maybe we'll get into that later by the two women i thought was poor um especially uh the Bouvier one which i thought was (laughs) with some of the her hokey lines that she and then uh the gal that played loopy too had a lot of vapid lines but maybe we'll get to that um
2: yeah sure let's uh let's talk a little bit more about uh dalton first um He's uh, the third or the fifth Bond, depending on how you count it. I think that's because there's a weird uh, Casino Royale parody uh, in there
1: somewhere. Yeah, with Woody Allen and David Niven. Okay, isn't Peter Sellers in that movie as well? Yeah, I think so. Does he does he play Bond? No, we don't know. I think I think David Niven plays Bond. I'm just I'm guessing.
2: All right. the performance of Bond films had really tanked uh, with the last couple of uh, Roger Moores, and uh, and struck through with a very surprisingly good return of Sean Connery to the role, like uh, um, uh, just out of the blue. Um,
1: Don't never. Sign- never with never say never. Mm. Okay. Right, Con- right. Con- Connery came back, and it wasn't a broccoli-sanctioned one either. And they also everything I've read about it and seen it. It was kind of a rewritten Thunderball uh, script, right?
2: The uh, this this is an error like ever since Thunderball, there's this kind of schism. I don't want to go. I think we talked in more detail about it uh, in a previous episode. I don't want to go all the way back through it, but uh, uh, there was a bunch of legal um, uh, yeah. wrangling and bullshit going on between uh, the script trader of, uh, of especially Thunderball. And The Broccoli Family. Uh, And some of this was coming to a head at this point. So um, uh, the third Dalton film that was planned hit just massive delays because all that stuff was like hitting the courts. And, uh, you know, it just went long enough that he said, you know, I just, I'm not going to wait around anymore. Although he quit in 94. This film comes out in 95, which is kind of crazy. So uh, Pierce Brosnan was plugged into the role that Uh, uh, Dalton had been meant to play in Golden so dalton,
1: Nine, Golden, dalton right now is playing that um prequel to yellowstone he played he's playing an aging and old man cattle baron i don't know if you saw that but uh it's weird to see him he's an old man now and uh he's playing in the the prequel you know how there's a couple prequels to yellowstone oh yeah
0: there's
2: a
1: yellowstone expanded universe yeah he's in series. that with with helen mirren and uh uh, oh, and Harrison Harrison Ford, yeah, yeah, oh cool, 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 um uh,
2: I don't know how much I, why did I re- write this, I don't know, I don't know what how much I wanna hang the success of a bond film on the principal actor, necessarily, but it does seem like a lot, like like the if the bond is not good, like the movie is not good, um, I think you really have to to know this character well. Um oh that's that's why it's because I was um gonna mention uh John Glenn. But first of all, just did you like Timothy Dalton
1: in this? Sure. Sure. I thought he was fine. But then again, getting back to great. yeah, George Lansenby though, here's an example. Okay. I don't George Lansenby on Her Majesty's Circuit Service, I don't think he was known as being a great bond, but that movie is critically acclaimed as one of the best, the movie itself. And I don't think it's so much that he was great, but the story was good. And if you read the critics reviews, that's, you know, a critically acclaimed one on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And it's also when Bond gets married to Diana Rigg and she gets killed, which is they make a reference to in this one, uh, this Mm -hmm. license to kill one when Felix's wife says something about you being the next to be married, you know, there's that awkward. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. I liked, I, I liked him. I liked him great. Um, and the Lazenby one, that'll be when we circle around and do another James Bond film, we'll yeah. finish out our set with Lazenby and we'll have covered all of them. Yeah. Uh, except for that one. I don't think we're ever going to do that. One, that Woody Allen one.
1: Um, oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't. That's That was just pure comedy. The director of this film is John Glenn.
2: This is the final of a five in a row uh, directing James Bond, which is the most James Bond films uh, directed by the same person. And um, even before he started directing, he'd been involved as editor or second director, second unit director uh, on many of the Bond films, dating all the way back to, ding, 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 the Lazenby one. Uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service. Um, I like this film a lot. and uh, considering that this is five in a row from John Glenn, so he is at the peak of his experience of of directing James Bond films, and I think it shows um, yeah well well-directed film. Um, you'd
1: think you'd think it would have taken another director to take this different approach about a rogue bond, but you know what I'm saying? but it was him oh,
2: who was, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Right. And then fucking Tom Cruise goes rogue in like every single mission impossible movie. Now. Yeah. Yeah I'm, get, yeah. I'm getting kind of tired of it actually. I mean, I love the mission impossible movies, but I'm getting tired of him yeah. constantly, uh, uh getting disavowed, but yeah. Um, Robert Davi. I did not know this. Apparently he's a really great singer. Uh, he does like Frank Sinatra kind of, uh, Style crooning, is he the
1: crooning? Yeah, is he the bad guy? The, the villain. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. He's played it. He's played a lot of bad guys in movies.
2: Yeah, he uh, weirdly shows up in a surprisingly large amount of films that I've personally loved or at least remember well from my youth. Uh, he's in uh, City Heat with um, Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood. Uh, he's in the Goonies. Uh, raw <laughs> deal, raw deal. Uh, he's one of the agents in Die Hard, uh, Johnson and Johnson. Do you remember those guys? Yeah. Um, and uh, has a really, really hilariously sleazy role in uh, Showgirls uh, with a line that I will not repeat right now, but it is one of the most hilariously disgusting sleazy things you've. I think that has ever been said on screen. <laughs> um in uh, preparation for this, Robert Davi researched the Colombian drug car- cartels how to do a Colombian accent. Okay, so there's his nationality. It's Colombian. And uh, is uh, was a method actor who would stay in character off set. Um, while they were... While, uh, I guess, sometime after this movie came out, uh, he was on vacation in South America, and he was uh, taken he was approached and picked up by some cartel members uh who took them to took him to see uh, an actual uh south american drug lord who just wanted to uh tell robert Davi how much he liked uh his portrayal in this movie so uh yeah, it's a weird weird kind of fan base uh to have um
1: yeah so let's it, talk- that's that's similar to some real life mafia people who have sought out De Niro from the Godfather and Goodfellas, you know, and liked the way they were portrayed. And I've seen shows where they've talked about how much was real, how much was authentic, that kind of thing. So that's kind of reminds me of that kind of thing. Yeah. must, must happen
2: all the time. Um, Now you, all right. So let's go ahead. Now is your time to talk about Carrie Lowell's. That's a, Uh, agent Bouvier of the DEA. Was there a particular line that you? uh...
1: Yep. Let me find it. Okay. All right. Look, pal, I was an army pilot and I've flown the toughest hell holes in South America. And I will not (laughs) have you, I will not have you lecture me on professionalism. And then I thought maybe a lecture on acting though. She got, she settled into it a little bit more after that, but, I just thought she was overacting and uh, not that great, you know, especially with that line.
2: Yeah. You know, that's, I think that's, I mean, that's just a tough line to even put Mm -hmm. in her mouth. I'm sorry, but she's just, she just seems to be too pretty to, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, to been a a combat pilot. Uh, I hope I'm not not being offensive by saying that, but Mm -hmm. it just, it just felt I, it pinged me. I felt it was uh, just kind of an unnatural thing so did you uh, agree, agree with that? Today. Sure. Yeah. I'll agree with you. Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, it, it struck me as well. I just, I didn't really remember it, uh, 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 to, to bring it up, but now that you mention it, um, yeah, you're right. Uh, but I I kind of liked her in the movie. She's very cute. Can I say that? Um, yeah. apparently at this point, um, you know, she's coming off of a, primarily a modeling career.
1: Um, but, uh, the other thing, uh, the other funny thing about it is, her name Bouvier was Jackie Kennedy's maiden name as well as Marge Simpson's. So I am wondering if that was an in joke because then they give her the name Ken- Miss Kennedy after that. That had to be an in joke. That makes and, sense.
2: That makes sense. And that's
1: something a baby boomer like me would know, and not so much you. <laughs>
2: right. Right. Yes, yes, you are correct. Um, I feel like I feel like for a Bond girl again. I haven't seen a whole bunch of the films, but I thought she got to she was handed a lot more to do uh, and felt more like a real person overall in this film than most Bond girls. I kind of appreciated that. There's the one scene in the on the boat uh, where she strips down to a, a nighty. Uh, for no reason that I could tell, not that
1: I'm complaining though. Um, yeah. Well, but, she stripped uh, onto a one piece bathing suit too, when, when they were going to go underwater. Was that something different or is that, was that the one you were thinking of?
2: No, 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 no. There's a very, there's a very sheer. Uh, okay. Clingy that, that uh, really just really wraps around her body in a uh, uh, quite, okay. quite delicious ways uh and uh i mean as much as i appreciate it i was also thinking like why why did you take your clothes off i don't Mm -hmm. i don't understand (laughs) um but uh does did i say that she eventually goes on to have apparently a pretty solid run on law and order Um, oh no no so so uh bully for her uh benicio del toro i was. He
1: he looks very young, doesn't he?
2: I got so excited when he showed up on screen. I had, I've never, the first movie I ever saw him in was uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Um, mm. Where, you know, and he put on like a huge amount of weight for that and blah, blah. I've been a huge fan ever since. I was not expecting to see him in this movie. As soon as he showed up on screen, I was like, oh my God, he's a baby. He's a very well, he's a very sexy bad boy.
1: <laughs> well, probably his biggest role was Che. Did you ever see Che? No, I haven't seen that yeah. one. Oh my god. He plays Che and boy, talk about a lookalike. It's a huge mm-hmm. 2 parter it's a two part movie. It's so long. But uh Yeah, it's pretty good. And talk about he's- a a facsimile, you know? When you think mm-hmm. of you know the famous poster of Che that's up on all the, you know, college room posters. Yeah, yeah. You know, with the beret. That's about mm-hmm. as close of likeness as you could ever have.
0: Okay.
1: He
2: is 21 years old in this film, uh by far the youngest uh Bond heavy ever to hit the screen. I had this weird thought I wanted to throw out like I wonder how much of a break in tradition it would be To have him in modern day play a Bond villain, he would be such a
1: good fucking Bond villain. Well, did you see him in Sicario? Of course. Yeah. I mean, that should tell you right there. I mean, that was a virtual villain, even though he was, you know. So, yeah, that would have told you right there how he does have the goods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the right, like he's the right age and gravitas right now. Yeah, I just think mm,
2: I think he'd be like my number one pick to see as a as a Bond villain, or very, very high up in, in my list. Mm-hmm. Um, Wayne Newton, uh, big fan of the Bond franchise, sent a letter and said, "Hey, can I just get a cameo?" And they said, "Sure, Wayne Newton. We'll even give you a speaking part."
1: Yeah, and that um, was peer, that was pure camp, too. Yes. Yes. You know, um, with a with a bless with a bless you, you know, in the seduction scene where he doesn't put put up too much of a fight with her as she takes the key and then she snatches the bag at on her way out when the place is blowing up and he says bless you again. I wonder if even if they maybe wrote that role into the movie
2: for him. Just for him to have some fun with. Right, because that said, he does look so good, like, uh, doing his televangelist, you know, like, please, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, thank you so much. We've gotten, uh, we've hit our target of $2 million.
1: Although that has Um, been uh, using cult leaders as a front. Uncle uh, has used that several times for as like a front for uh, thrush, Um, you know, religious leaders or uh, cult leaders, that kind of a thing. There's been several uh, Uncle episodes uh, with that. Device. it is in fact uh in the tradecraft section of the podcast i'm going to flag it as
2: plus spy points i think as a money laundering operation it gets the it gets the nod from me
1: mm-hmm.
2: um have you ever heard of the uh, I'm, I'm going to mention felix lighter next um have you ever heard the theory that uh like all the bond films do happen in the same universe and that uh, it's like that double like J- the name James Bond is something they give to another person, you know, that so that you know it actually is. Uh, I don't know to explain why there's Sean Connery and then Roger Moore and then Timothy Leesonby Dal- and then Dalton. Have you ever heard that theory?
1: No. Mm-mm. Okay.
2: Well, it's out there. And while watching this movie, I realized that the existence of the Felix Leiter character uh, kind of disproves that, because there's also a whole bunch of different versions of Felix Leiter. Right, right. And so that would that would make that um, a stretch for me. Of course we get to see the uh, lovable um, Desmond Llewellyn, uh, appearing again as Q. Uh, he has... I think, you know, Ben in more Bond films than anybody else uh, at at 17. Um, Not long before his death, he said he had no plans to retire and would continue playing Q as long as the producers want him and the Almighty doesn't. So I guess the Almighty finally decided it was time to
1: call Llewellyn home. To me, that was a delightful plus of this film to see how delighted Q was to be back in the field. He just yeah. like a little boy, his, his eyes would light up. And there's like two times when bond dismisses him and the girl and the look on yeah. his face is just little boy disappointment and how <laughs> he brightens up when bond does tell him to bring the roles around. Uh, he knows he's back in the game. Uh, So I think he's having more fun than anyone. Um, And then his incognito street sweeper disguise with the radio antenna coming out of it, too, was pretty cool. So I think if he was in it anymore, he would have stolen the show (laughs) because he was having a ball. And you just could relate to him being so thrilled about being in the field, you know, and then, oh, disappointed with Bond would try to uh, dismiss him.
2: He is adorable. He is, yep. he is absolutely adorable. Yep. Um, that's all I got for context. Uh, anything else you want to talk about in the film in general? Let's, uh, before we head to the briefing room. Um,
1: well, let's see what I put. Um, the whole, I, I did put the whole Thunderball thing was very evident for me, um, which wasn't a bad thing. It was just, just evident. Um, the amount of, oh, the, um, You know, the whole idea of going rogue, which was interesting, uh, contemporary issues like the drug cartels and the Contras, light bits of camp. So they were able to, and that's the thing I think most interesting about this. They were able to do a serious historically contemporary story, but also put in, uh, elements of camp. As I said, cues, little boy enthusiasm about being in the field, um, and, uh, the underwater scuba scenes, uh, a la Thunderball. So mm. all those elements I thought were pretty cool.
0: Retinal scan complete. Validating security clearance. Clearance granted. You may now enter the briefing room.
2: Well, I think the first half is mostly serviceable generally by the book, Bondcraft kind of stuff. I think it's in the second half of the film where it really gets into what I thought was an enjoyably complicated plot with lots of characters. Lots of characters. Lots of wheels in this movie uh on both the uh, blue team and red team alongside and against each other. Uh a lot of people with different uh conflicting motivations and everything just seems to click very nicely. Um yeah, I think, it, I think it has, of all the Bond films I've seen, I think this has the most number of characters that are actually important to the story. Um, as far as walking through the film, you, uh, let's see, uh, I give, at the beginning, oh, well, at the very beginning, we've flagged that uh, Sanchez's plane is landing somewhere where it would be legal to go in and grab him. Uh, I'm giving plus spy points for the DEA for keeping such close tabs on Sanchez that they're ready to pounce, you know, at this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's landing in Key West, which is a very small island, perhaps on the periphery of of U.S. soil. Or I wasn't really sure if they were picking him up from the Bahamas or the U.S. That was a little fuzzy to me. Um, But uh, way out on this little island, Sanchez might have actually thought that he was still an international in international waters. It um, was also gonna flag, you know, Bond comes along, you know, as an observer, but ends up discharging his weapon here. That's probably a violation of some kind.
1: And uh, this is one of the few movies that was not set in England at the beginning.
2: Okay, oh yeah, it's, oh yeah, that's all,
1: right. right. It's all set here.
2: Because they want they wanna move away from the Cold War. They wanna get a little more, <laughs> take a little more from the headlines. So they're moving it over to the U.S. And so that's why they've had they've decided that the lighter character uh, who is usually CIA uh, has transferred to the DEA and is working on the Sanchez case uh, in South
1: America so that we could. Uh, yeah. You know, and I remember him as I over there as a little boy. I remember him in Voyage to Bottom of the Sea, the um, submarine captain um, okay. <laughs> right underneath Richard Basehart in that show. He, his name was Lee. So I rem- that's how I fir- how I remember him. 60s TV show.
2: I see that you have notes here uh, referring to The Godfather and The Deer Hunter.
1: What did you want to tell us about this? Um, because those two movies use a wedding to open the movie and introduce the characters. And that's kind of going on here. You know, both The Godfather and The Deer Hunter use a wedding, and quite a long wedding, too. Um, much longer than the one in here to introduce the characters. That's their device, and I always thought that was interesting, and it really has an effect. And that's a little bit here, Too we even see Bouvier make an appearance um, in the scene when he when she walks into Felix's office, right? right. right. And we get the mm-hmm. we get the foreshadowing too of the lighter, um, right? Of the cigarette lighter. Yes. Right. Yes. You know we know the old. You know, at the beginning of a movie, if a camera lights on or has, or uh, hovers well, on a, an object, right, for a certain amount of time, che- it's going to show off. Cig- it's Chekhov's okay, right. cigarette later, yeah, right? Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> it's where, yeah. So you know it's going to turn up later, usually in a climactic scene. And this does. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, that's true. Um, what about this focusing on Hawkins? Who's, who's Hawkins? What? Your next note is something about uh, the camera focusing on Hawkins, and I'm not even sure I know wh- who, oh, which character he... that is.
1: All right. Remember when uh, Sanchez and is floating the bribery thing? Hawkins is the African-American agent, and the camera goes on him, and he makes a funny face, and it's throwing us a curve because its I think it's making us think that he's going to take the bait. But it's right. not; it's the other guy who gets so indignant and yelling and screaming who takes the bribe. <laughs> yeah. So I just noticed that when he floats the idea of the bribe, uh, Hawkins, the African American agent, makes a little face like, mm. and I just think the camera's throwing us a curve there. Um, speaking of the two million, um, just
2: one of my one of my little proclivities. I always like to find out what the actual weight of uh, of a certain amount of money would be in a film because films love to underestimate how much money actually weighs uh two million in 20s would weigh ding 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 220 pounds so uh you know yeah and they do make a mention that it's that it's heavy but he does kind of throw it around uh a little more easily than i think he should be able to throw around 220 pounds um to yeah uh, also, like Kilfer, after the betrayal, and they've gotten Sanchez safely to Crest's business in Key West, um, even after Sanchez has fled, Kilfer is still there. And I was thinking, like, what is Kilfer's plan here? Like, um, by disappearing, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Just to lay low, I thought. Sure wouldn't it be smarter to have just like get the 2 million, but also like keep your job and just like deny that you had anything to do with it. Um, I don't know. Cause maybe they didn't kill the driver. I guess, I guess they'd still need some kind of story of like what happened in the cab of the truck. But, um, it just brings me to the idea that, okay, $2 million. It, that is worth like about twice that today. That's $4 million. Um, Is that really enough to take this huge of a risk and also like throw your entire life away and have to go on the run for the rest of your life? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I think you need more than that. I mean, you know, who knows if he likes his career or whatever, but you know, his family, his, any friends he has, it's it's
1: just Mm -hmm. a lot. The whole nothing personal, just business, has been so overused, but I believe it originated from the Godfather and so many movies have used it since. Tell, tell Michael uh, it was nothing personal. Tessio says, says to Tom Hagan, played by Robert Duvall, tell Michael it was nothing personal, just business as they oh, take him off to kill him.
2: Right, right, right. But also the, um, what a terrible waste when, when the guy's eaten by the shark Sharky says, uh, what a terrible
1: waste. Of money, yeah, um, and that's yeah. a little disingenuous because when you say nothing personal and you kill a man's wife, that's more—that's beyond personal, right? <laughs> you're, you're, yeah, you're
2: right. There's there's no business purpose. So it's almost that, like really.
1: yeah, it's almost like when a cop after a cop gives you a ticket, they say, "Have a nice day," you know?
2: Right, right, right. Um, so yeah, this is. Uh, This is in the part where uh, Bond has, you know, it's very standard. Again, like I said, the first half of this movie, very by the book as far as a Bond film, you know, generally speaking. Uh, It's pretty standard fare to Bond, for Bond to infiltrate an enemy's headquarters, gain some clues about what's going on uh, with their operation. I'm going to flag as uh, a little silly that uh, pretty much the first place he decides to look is inside the maggot tanks. Um, Yeah. And and finds the cocaine there. Like I don't know. I just don't think that would be, have been my first.
1: Uh, That's my probably the way instinct. of just speeding the no, already overly long movie up. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Did you think Time. it was over long? Did you? Did you? Well, you said it was two and a half hours, right? It's two hours and ten,
2: okay.
1: which I I I do think is a long movie. Yeah. Um. So maybe that was part of it. You know, part of the speeding up yeah sure hey yes kitty you could hey what you could be blowfold put that cat in your lap
2: (laughs) you should see actually i can pick i can pick him up and he not now because he would freak out with the monitor and everything but i can pick him up and cradle him in my in my arms and he's just as happy as a clown we
1: we wouldn't see your handicap either (laughs) because <laughs> you're from the waist up
2: now uh let's see bond is in trouble here oh yeah because bond is still he's making plans with sharky he's uh he's gone kind of AWOL because uh he gets hauled up in front of of uh m who has made the trip all the way here to key west personally maybe he didn't need to do that um maybe he did um but here, M is demanding that Bond be on a plane this afternoon. Apparently, he's needed in in Istanbul, mm-hmm. and um, Bond resigns in protest. And when he's asked to surrender his firearm, he uh, he instead flees, uh, which you know could have got him killed. could have Could have not uh, gone well. I'm giving this minus spy points uh, for one thing. The guy just said, get on a plane this afternoon. You could have just walked out of here and then just not gotten on the plane.
1: Right, without it being so dramatic exit.
2: Right. Now, character-wise, I guess the justification is we want to show how um, um, offended Bond is that they they don't seem to care as much as they should about lighters, lighter getting eaten by a shark. But uh, it's still, it's just not the right play um so yeah he could have just walked out of there and as far as the firearm i like to think bond could just you know would be capable of procuring a firearm if he needed i just miss
1: when i saw that guy he was all right in an english sort of fatherly way but i just miss the original m the way he would dress down bond and scold him and just be so intolerant you know just bust his chops all the time i just miss that character and like we saw before he was he played the uh grocery clerk and uh, the spy who came in from the cold but mm. i forget this his name guy? but uh, or no, no the guy the, that you like the, the original m the original m you yes. know yeah with uh jean Condre. i just would love the way he'd have no patience with him and was always dressing him down and even with money penny too so he was great i just thought that guy whoever he was mm.
2: So now that Bond is out uh, on his own, and uh, the, originally the movie, they wanted to call it License Revoked. Uh, apparently they changed that because they thought, cause American, cause they thought Americans would associate it with a driver's license, which is silly. But License Revoked just wouldn't have been a good title. But they couldn't title. they have just
1: added the word License to Kill Revoked? I, like that's,
2: I, think, I think that's clunky. Just call it License Maybe. to Kill. All
1: right.
2: Yeah. Much better. Um, So he uh, goes out to sneak onto Crest's boat. Crest, of course, the associate of uh, Sanchez. uh, uh, So Bond has figured out that Crest is involved in the cocaine smuggling operation. Um, He gets in there and uh, he goes. Let's see. Shooting this guy was not the right move. He, right, he's on the boat, he's on the boat sneaking around. He talks to Lupe a little bit. That was kind of unnecessary. I guess he was going into Crest's cabin to interrogate Crest. That still seems like the right play. And when Crest comes to the door, that would have, if that was your objective, to grab Crest, that was an opportunity to do it. So, you know, meeting Lupe, talking to her, it just doesn't really serve any purpose. And then Mm -hmm. when they show up with uh, uh, Sharky, Sharky being the black friend of uh, Lighter and Bond's that we were introduced to earlier, uh, they've killed him and and this one guy kind of makes a joke about it. And Bond pops out and shoots the guy, jumps into the water, grabs his scuba gear, goes down there, starts sabotaging the cocaine, which I'm not sure what purpose that's supposed to serve for Bond's mission of getting at Sanchez, like shooting the guy didn't seem like the right play, whatever it was that like at this point, and then, and then Bond does a whole bunch of complicated stuff and really seems to be winging it. I just wanted to flag that in that, like, I don't, we don't know what his plan was uh, when he got on the boat in the first place, but it certainly wasn't this. Um, yeah, but, but, but
1: here's what I said in And I think you said, um, again, this does not seem to to have been his plan, but we will see that he does use it in a million intelligent ways. I said, well, maybe since this isn't, this is my guess, maybe since this isn't an official mission sanctioned by M, and he's going rogue, and it's a personal vendetta, maybe that's how you might say he's making decisions on the fly and doesn't really have a well-thought-out plan. Right. So maybe you could explain it that way.
2: I can, I can explain it. I can even like it. I can even like it and still think that it's uh, not the best move. Um, oh yeah, for sure. For both both million. can
1: be true, right? Both can be true. It's,
2: yep, exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, one thing I will say: all right. He, so he ends up uh, absconding with five million dollars of Sanchez's money. And uh, for the rest of the movie, we will see that he actually does leverage and use that five million dollars uh, in intelligent ways that do advance the plot.
1: yeah, but what I um, but see, what throws me a little bit is I thought that money was lost at sea during the whole taking over of the spy plane. Remember it's floating around the cockpit, and he's like,
2: "Okay wait, take it the away." Is,
1: so unless over. it's another five million, I thought that five million was lost at sea during that whole. Uh, commandeering of this of the seaplane.
2: Well, I think there's there's just millions all over the place. Uh, okay, you know, five million dollars. Right. What's the line in the recruit? That's a that's probably just a rounding error in in the cost of whatever Sanchez uses to cut
1: his cocaine. Well, I, yeah, and I know he skimmed off some in the hotel room um, for the uh, the bus the bulb, bell hop or whatever. So it wasn't mm. completely five million, but then he you know shows up with all the money at the casino. but, like I say, I just remember that money floating around the cockpit of the plane, and i I saw a lot of it was lost at sea, but who knows, maybe there was enough after that. It just seemed like that five million went a long ways, and then he sticks <laughs> it in that depressurizing thing, right Yes, yes, yes,
2: that's 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 one of the ways he gets multiple uses out of the money. Yeah, um, which is yeah. which, which is which is cool. Um, now, Crest uh, again to to this plan. So, whatever his plan was, Crest was his only lead that we that we know of. Uh, it still is his only lead, you know. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, it still could be. He still could like you know uh, keep pulling on that string, but he deviates from that to follow up on the the Bouvier uh, thing for for no reason that is like given in the movie but he sneaks into lighter's house uh finds um finds now he saw lighter hide in the wedding scene earlier we saw lighter hide his disc that has all his sanchez files uh in a in a picture uh which is kind of clever that he keeps it hidden like that but Honestly, I think that information it would be better kept like discreet on a on a drug enforcement agency headquarters computer um also, maybe it's just me like at this point, like anytime I see you know uh, this kind of information kept on a on a on a c d it just looks so antiquated yeah, but I can't I, believe it
1: <laughs> but I've seen enough cop shows to know that personal informants are usually shady people and they use, and a lot of cops and official people use them in not so legal ways. So maybe that would speak to him having it on a personal computer and not any official one, because you know what I'm saying? So many personal informants are shady people and they should not be dealt with and that kind of thing.
2: Right. And perhaps knowing, you know, yeah, that's a good point. And uh, there's a good possibility that Sanchez has, people working on the inside at dea very good point um but uh also you know sanchez's goons raided Lighter's house and uh uh bond makes the assumption that they've seen these files uh which he doesn't actually have any evidence of and right if if they had seen the files he'll tell bouvier later that that they know about her, which doesn't add up because to do that they would have had to have found the disk if they found the disc, they certainly wouldn't have put it back
1: right might take right, but I think Bond is saying it's a possibility that okay, it could have been also on the files that Sanchez's goons took, and so for him to say that, it's not only a cautionary tale for her, but leverage for Bond over her too. Right. Yes. So exactly. Even if it's not true,
2: which it probably isn't, it still Mm -hmm. could be a smart thing for him to say. Exactly. Um, But also I think the goons, like they should have trashed Lighter's computer. Like whether they find anything on it or not, just like put a bullet in the hard drive, uh, just erase that, that, you know, even if they don't know if there's, he has any good information on there you know, kill the guy, kill his, you know, kill his files too. Um, so yeah. Uh, and of course I'm, I'm going to have to say this every time we do a James Bond film, it's very much of the Bond brand, but also just entirely stupid that everyone is using their real names during intelligence ops.
1: Um, Yeah, and then as you point out, they change. Why did they change? Like Bouvier goes to Kennedy, right? Which I've already spoken about. Well, she changes her name. James Bond, take a tip from her and
2: change yours. Do that simple. Is that not just like the simplest thing you could ask for a spy to do?
1: Especially when he admits to Sanchez that he worked for British Intelligence. It wouldn't take Mm -hmm. much to figure out that numero uno is... 007, James Bond. That's true. That's true. Um, what I think happened
2: is in the very first movie, Sean Connery delivered that line, Bond, James Bond, so well that it became so ingrained with people that you just it just hung this dead horse of a stupid tradecraft thing around this entire series neck that they've just never had the guts to escape from.
1: Well, if you, my point, fine, but if you're going to do it, do it right. He sound it just, he, when he sat at that casino, and uh, it just sounded lame. And even with the shake and not stirred, but then she, she makes it worse when she goes up to get the cocktail at the bar and she botches the line with her poor acting as she places the order at the bar. And then she goes with hand motions, shake and not stirred right but it looks like she's making an obscene gesture when she shakes her hand like that but again maybe chocolate is it like
2: this yeah she does that
1: (laughs) you know so maybe it's can't be on purpose i don't know sometimes bad acting could be on purpose but i think she blows that line um when she goes up to the bar to to order it
2: (laughs) i think maybe i was too uh uh, in love with her <laughs> just being so cute um, to to be critical on this stuff. Um, so let's see. Now okay, now as far as I mean this will this will kind of come up again later, but I'll bring it up now. Um, you think it was bad a bad idea for Bond to admit to Sanchez that he worked for uh, British intelligence. I'll give you that. I'm going to differ in opinion on this one. Actually, I think Bond <laughs> just knew that Sanchez was going to find that out anyways. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, by, by, you know, uh, telling him, it's just, I don't know it. And it worked out well. Cause it played to Sanchez's ego when Sanchez's um, associate uh, is surprised to find out that Sanchez had figured that out before him. And Sanchez says, ah, I know a lot of things. Um, right. And, so it, it and the other.
1: Yeah. The other thing to make your point is. He has gone rogue. He's lost his license to kill, so he could kind of act like a disgruntled old former British intelligence person. You know what I'm saying? To play the part he literally yes. was. So, yeah.
2: Yes. Um I think mm, it's dicey. It's dicey though. Like lighter and Bond have so much history. Uh, I guess I guess they must have missed that in their investigation because that would have been a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Finding out that the guys, uh, the guy you just fed to a shark, his best friend shows up out of nowhere um, would be uh, problematic. Um, okay, tiny one, but I'm just gonna flag. How did she? How did she sneak that big ass shotgun into the bar that she's got under the table um, was she, she, uh, it's cool that she has it i just i just
1: the wonder. whole but the uh, whole thing you gotta take is camp right because you got the stripper who keeps girl who keeps dancing during the fight. Pam grabs the Marlin swordfish and uses it as a weapon during the fight. That's right out of the man from uncle water skiing behind the seaplane after he spear guns himself to the surface is a touch of camp. Right. Um, and her, her overall poor acting to give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe it's supposed to be that campy and bad, um, like delivering those hokey lines. And then you got the Wayne Newton thing. So, um, I just attribute those scenes to camp, especially the bar fight. And then later with Wayne Newton, um, in the seduction scene. Um, And again, great way of having a bit of both worlds, right? It's not completely camp and it's not completely dark, right? So it's Mm -hmm. this kind of dark rogue James Bond isn't all dark. So in that way, you might say, hey, they handled it pretty well. Yes. Yes. Um, next up in
2: my notes i've got here that uh, dario that's our uh, benicio del torres character um at this time in the bar before the bar fight breaks out dario has seen bouvier and bond together mm-hmm. uh and i you know wrote it down to myself is this going to be a plot problem later when bond presents himself to sanchez it kind of should be um it maybe you know maybe doesn't make sense that dario hasn't uh Uh, reported this information back to Sanchez, but also Bond, you know, even if for some reason Dario hasn't bond, doesn't know that. So when he makes his play on Sanchez, he is really, really uh, taking a huge, a huge risk. Um, There's a later thing though, when, um, when Dario does recognize bond though, uh, it's delayed a little bit because of what I think was kind of clever is they had everyone wearing masks uh to avoid the I don't know chemical fumes of the cocaine yeah.
1: but by that process. By that yeah. time Sanchez knows and has them right where he wants them, right?
2: I I don't think Sanchez knows until Dario says, hey, that's this is the guy.
1: Okay.
2: Yeah. All right. Um, but uh but it's unexplained why Dario has failed to report back to his boss in in the meantime between the bar okay. scene and there. Um so why do you think why do you think bond deposits the money in a bank that's controlled by Sanchez um,
1: to give I, him more this, credibility and authenticity but you know? Sanchez is yeah but Sanchez has just lost five million
2: dollars right mm-hmm. and then you show up and deposit oh. five million dollars in a bank that's controlled by Sanchez Sanchez can do basic math I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's
1: an yeah. oversight well you know me I thought half of that money was lost at sea and blowing around the airplane too.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, it just right, seems right.
1: like they get them They literally get a lot of mileage out of that 5 million.
2: Yeah. Um, so I'll mention again, uh, we, we find out now. So what bond does, he, he goes in and he, he wants to get Sanchez's attention. This is a cool way to do it. Just go in and be like this uh, super high roller uh, kind of guy at the casino. Um but uh, is that really enough? And then also, so Sanchez notices. His, he sends Lupe down uh, to talk to Bon. And I don't think San—I don't think Sanchez should be trusting Lupe to do anything. Well,
1: right. <laughs> Not, Not only that, it's... Lupe gets real close to him and, and is showing is trying to warn him. And there's nothing subtle about it. She's she's obviously showing concern and getting real close to him and looking all serious.
0: Mm-hmm. And. Oh.
1: To, To me, if he was viewing that from the TV screen, he'd think and know that something was up,
2: right? I I think so, 100%. Um, Sanchez is uh, busy arranging his summit with the triads, um, the triad bosses that he wants to do uh, business with. He's got a very complicated money laundering scheme involving a phony meditation retreat. I like this. I like this money laundering scheme. Uh, you see how it works is they, they're, they're not taking money directly for, for the drugs. It's just, uh, people place their bids of how much they'll they'll pay for the drugs just by donating to the meditation retreat. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and then they count that money up later. Um, Sanchez goes in, takes, uh, I guess this is a scene that Bond is not in, but there's a scene where Sanchez goes in and, uh, oh, right, where he's showing the triads, his operation. Um, He's explaining it all to them in what I think is a pretty loud voice. I think there's too many people around, too many ears around. You should be more discreet here. There's like 50 people in this room. Only one of them needs to be an informant. Only one of them needs to have like a gambling problem (laughs) or or be compromised in some way. Um, even, I mean, you know, okay, it's a Bond film. The, the villain's got a villain. You know, he's got to do his thing. But uh, absolutely, you know, your real cartel heads, guys, they're the kind of guys that don't even say anything to their closest associates.
1: They have middlemen,
2: buffers. Even then, even then. They do it in a way where they imply what they want, you know, even to their closest associates. They they never say anything that could be repeated in a court of law uh, that would make them look guilty. And Sanchez is just breaking that rule like like crazy. He's handling a lot of things personally that he doesn't need to. Now, I get it. When his girlfriend Lupe was sleeping with that other guy, definitely that maybe is the kind of like, I'm going
1: to... What was, uh, his accountant there, the young kid, uh, Mm. did handle some of that, but probably should have handled more of it, right? What was his name?
2: The young kid? I I don't have his name, but I know the guy you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, The accountant guy.
1: Yeah, he Um, should have, and he did have, and he was, uh, escorting the triad guys around for a while, but Mm. he, but you're right. Sanchez should have shown, should not have shown up in that way. Um, you know what it reminded me too of is, uh, did you ever see the Mickey Rourke movie Year of the Dragon? No. It's great. He plays a cop, and he's dealing with the Chinese triads in an American city. I want to say San Francisco. I don't know. Maybe New York, but it's good. It's like in the 80s, Year of the Dragon, but they're, it's the Chinese triads he's dealing with. Yeah, Very good. Those, yeah.
2: those guys are always, always fun villains uh, in my book. Yeah, so Bond gets his meeting with Sanchez. Um, Sanchez is not going to talk to him about much until uh, you know he takes his passport and says, oh, "We'll get back to you after uh, you know we've we've checked you out." That's kind of smart. I really love the fact that Bond uses this opportunity to take note of potential sniper situations
0: yeah.
2: uh, on Sanchez's office. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you can identify bulletproof glass just by looking at it, but I guess Bond can. Yeah. It would also be a pretty safe um, assumption. So, this is a test here where, shoot. Bond claims that he's there looking for work. Uh while while he's uh casing the joint, Sanchez's interest is piqued. Um but he warns Bond, he says, "Hey, nobody saw you come in here. Nobody needs to see you walk out." Now that is a test, I think, because
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh Bond in this case could easily say, you know, like I mean, his life is being threatened. Uh, sometimes this is where the character will pull a bluff. They'll say, "Well, actually, this this entire building there's the platoon of United States Marines surrounding the building right now. So, you know, back off." But by admitting that he has no support team, that makes him look more defenseless, which is very high risk, very high risk uh, thing to do. But I think that's it's it's the right play.
1: Adds the to the situation. authenticity of his situation yes. too. Yeah, and desperation. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Bond then, uh, he sneaks he sneaks into the hotel disguised as a waiter. Uh, that's unusual for a Bond film. I don't usually see Bond going into disguise. Um, there was a really neat little bit, I don't know if you remember in, I think it's Casino Royale, where he pretends to be a valet, uh, the Daniel Craig one. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. So that's cool. I like like to see Bond uh, being a little bit more of a spy than just a, you know, sexy, quippy, tuxedo dude. Um, So yeah, I think this is pretty good Bond stuff uh, compared to a lot of the movies I've seen so far. The plastic explosives have been implanted uh, to take care of the bulletproof glass. Bond takes up his sniper position across the street. Um... Now, Sanchez is, again, meeting with people, talking about stuff he probably shouldn't be talking about, uh, you know, directly. Um, one of the guys in the meeting is Quang. And Quang is insisting that... Uh, you you know, see the lab? We give you, yes. Before we give you all this money, we want to okay. see the operation. And this is kind of cool. Because who better than a potential investor uh as a cover identity uh would be would have a legitimate interest you know a legitimate uh reason to say like hey I'm not gonna make this deal unless you show me the details of your operation details of the operation of course being incredibly valuable intelligence right. um, to nail right um, San- Sanchez is smart enough to notice that and raise it as a concern say we're gonna have to keep an eye on this Quang guy uh he's correct to do so because Quang is in fact
1: Hong Kong narcotics enforcement. Um, And how many times have we seen that too? I've seen that in other detective movies where um, a cop will stumble on something where there's already the feds or somebody is already infiltrating them and risks blowing the whole thing. That's kind of a standard fare with cop movies.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, Quang is concerned that Bond's assassination attempt on Sanchez is going to uh, blow his operation. I don't know about that. I mean, a dead Sanchez is like kind of a good outcome (laughs) if you're trying to take down his operation. Of course, there's always going to be
1: someone else. But Um, Sanchez probably, or I mean, Quang probably wants the evidence that's in the lab too, not just a dead Sanchez,
2: right? Yeah, yeah, to, to, if he wants to take down the whole operation, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so Quang nabs Bond. He interrupts the assassination attempt. Nabs Bond, takes him to their hideout, uh, where uh, there's also another MI6 agent, a guy named Fallon, is waiting there and uh it's it's found Fal- so at first glance i had questions about this like why why is Kwang doing this i think these questions were correctly answered by the movie the presence of fallon is very important because that's like our first thing is like what what tipped quang off to bond in the first place well the answer is of course bond has gone rogue and six is trying to find him uh fallon decided that quang would be a good guy to uh uh to bring in uh, on him. Fallon's job is of course just to bring Bond back to uh, yeah. England. And this is just you know and Fallon's appearance in this movie is extremely brief. I mean he's dead within like five minutes of of him being introduced but uh, it was just an important little detail that connected some tissue together that I think like a lot of Bond films just don't go to the trouble to do and I appreciated it in this one. Um it's another case where Sanchez has no business having this high of a profile in an operation when they come and in. And, and, on
1: the raid, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not even given the information of why uh, Quang grabbing Bond, uh, you know, gave him away to Sanchez. And and now suddenly they know everything about, about Quang. But we do know that Sanchez was uh, looking into had directed his uh, underlings to look into Quang so maybe they've just you know have at this point caught up um all of this now story-wise the way the plot is put together all of this is just like kind of an elaborate way for the script writers to get Bond delivered to Sanchez in a way that Sanchez feels like maybe this guy is trustworthy because when he finds Bond you know, the guy's tied up. They were about to inject him with some stuff. You know, like, he's clearly, like, the enemy of my enemy. Yeah. Um, so that's helpful. Uh, applause to the scriptwriters. Because that's what they want to do. They want to get this situation of where Bond is uh, pretending to be an ally of Sanchez. And, again, that is something that James Bond, like, almost never fucking does. You know? Which mm-hmm. is usually what you
1: do in a spy movie is you infiltrate the operation. And he didn't, he didn't have to tie himself up because he was tied up because of the clang thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he didn't even have to uh, do that, which made right. it even all the more authentic for Sanchez to see.
2: Mm-hmm. So now Sanchez is like, okay, so what's up, buddy? What now, uh, you know, we've done your banker background check or whatever um why why were you there and oh and by the way importantly uh lupe had an opportunity to let bond know that crest is on his way that's important because crest has seen bond and could identify him to sanchez mm-hmm. so this is like the coolest part what bond says is that it's a very elaborate fabrication um but it plays on sanchez's paranoia Plant seeds, him, yes, plant seeds of doubt plant seeds of doubt right you know you have enemies uh quang uh was an elite mercenary unit they hired to kill you they're the ones that tried to kill you um and they thought that i would be a threat because of uh his old loyalties i don't know that's i got that from the wiki i'm not sure if i can hang a hat on that um but Bond does say, you know, they seemed well-informed enough about you that it would suggest that you might have a leak in, in your operation, um, which is all really, really good shit. Uh, he has come out of this kind of smelling like a rose. He just tried to assassinate Sanchez, but now he's made it look like he was trying to prevent that assassination uh which is masterful bond is playing off of the fact that nobody else is alive to question his story except crest who is uh coming in but so bond needs to throw crest under the bus before crest can show up and identify bond so he's also accomplishing that and uh and even better he doesn't he doesn't finger crest directly he just gives like the right amount of little bits of information that lets Sanchez come to the conclusion on his
1: own. And what that reminded me of was the spy who came in from the cold. That same Mm, kind of psychology that Smiley and Control used, even without Richard Burton knowing about it. Um, And the spy who came in from the cold where they're supporting the East German they want removed. So the guy they do have can remain with no suspicions on him. And Mm -hmm. that's done a very, so that's the first thing they thought of when you made that point. Right. Right.
2: Yeah. So it's, it's really good. I think this, I think just this part is going to make my top best trade craft of the film. And as we'll see later, Bond takes an opportunity to get out there, plant the money on crests boat, making it so also eliminating crest as a threat to bond and further cementing his uh you know the the notion of his potential usefulness and trustworthiness uh towards sanchez Mm. um so that's 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 good that's good uh bond is doing bond is playing sanchez exactly correctly here he knows the guy has enemies he knows knows the is paranoid he knows that he values loyalty uh, he knows that he wants to feel clever and like he's ahead of the game. Bond is doing everything
1: exactly right here. Um, so. And he even uses it as he's going down the uh, going down the uh, conveyor belt to the shredder. Right? That How's saves that? his ass. That's... Remember he's oh, being okay. sent down to the shredder and he, he even cast out there to save his ass. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he gets him to stop the the conveyor belt there. What exact information did he give there? Do we remember? He just, he said, what about Heller and how can you trust Heller? And who was the other? One? Oh,
2: Heller. Yeah. I think, it, I think it was Heller. So this is, this is kind of interesting to me. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of wheels within wheels. You know, we have all these different characters and Heller and crest and yep. Dario. Like, usually Bond movies, they just have a supervillain and just maybe one henchman. Like, this has got so many fucking characters. Um, Bond, when he was looking in the window, he saw... This is what I want to talk about next, though. This one, this one, I think, is just like, eh. Um, he saw Bouvier meeting with Heller. Right. And... What's happening here we'll find out is that uh uh Heller was thinking about betraying Sanchez and uh uh on this some kind of deal of like stinger missiles uh being delivered uh for some reasons I don't know it it didn't it didn't seem important it didn't go anywhere. It gave us a reason to distrust Bouvier, which to me didn't mean anything or affect the plot in any way, except to give Bond a chance, a reason to like jump into her bed and fucking, yeah. you know, grab her gun from her little thigh holster and interrogator. Um, so I didn't like that bit, but everything else, everything else was cool. But the, you know, so the idea is like now that the assassination attempt has happened, like Heller's scared off and he's like, he's like not going to make his play on Sanchez. Felt like a loose thread. Felt like something that maybe was supposed to be more important in the script. Uh, it just didn't get,
1: mm-hmm.
2: didn't get played off. Kruban's um, play to uh, implicate Crest works brilliant. Uh, just, just fine. I like that Bond is then bold enough to, to double down on this bet. And, you know, when Sanchez is like, it looks like you were right about crest and Bond is like, yeah, but I don't think that guy was working alone. Do you? That's kind of cool. Like, just keep it going. <laughs> keep this guy spinning around in his little paranoid hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, The Lupe... I haven't had that much to say about her. Uh, I mentioned that you know, there's no reason for Sanchez to trust her. She doesn't. She doesn't even really need to be in this movie, dude. Like she's kind of useless. No. And then her saying, "I love James so much." Where the fuck is that coming from? That is out of nowhere. These two have no connection at all. All Right. They, they, They. They. Yeah. They have no bond. Um, Bouvier as well. She's like, you know, totally fallen head over heels. It's funny though. Like, okay. So I'm listening to uh, my favorite podcast is one called blank check. And they did all the Roger Moore movies recently. And they point out that in the Roger Moore films, basically within a minute of James Bond meeting a girl, they cut to like a minute later, they're getting out of they're They're waking up in bed next to each other. It's just like like that. Um actually I kind of did appreciate here that Timothy Dalton is not such a horn dog that he's just immediately leaping into bed with women uh the minute he sees them. Um
1: Roger the Roger Moore movies, I would say they're the campiest ones. He always has this look on him like I'm not taking this seriously too. Some people liked right. that, some people didn't. You know, that's when the big Conry versus Moore thing started. I appreciate
2: that Dalton keeps it in his pants until the end of this movie. But the it's still the same thing where the women i I don't maybe don't want to say especially in this movie, but maybe I do. Like but the fact of how fast the women fall in love with James Bond, and for no like real
1: reasons that I can see, just I you don't know, like you know like it. Yeah, because a Bouvier is is not supposed to be a you know, a bimbo, right? She's supposed to be a hardened agent, right? Serious, who's been on all these missions before, but mm-hmm. then they got her acting like some bimbo, jealous bimbo. Yeah, yeah, that is unfortunately.
2: I think uh, you know, if the if the shoes fit, uh, but um, but he's not sleazy. He's not sleazy. I don't think he made a single. Inappropriate comment uh, to or about a woman uh, in this film, which is refreshing. Which is mm-hmm. refreshing because I don't I, that shit that Sean Connery shit does not uh, wear well with time, at least not uh, for my generation. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, then uh, you know, San- Sanchez does take Bond to the the meditation t- retreat operation where they're. You know, the whole smuggling thing here is they figured out a way to mix the cocaine with gasoline. uh, And they'll sell them this part of it. We'll sell you the gasoline that's got the cocaine in it. And then after we get the money, then we'll tell you how to get the cocaine back out of the gasoline. Kind of clever. Had no idea why uh, why Sanchez, you know, invited Bond to accompany him to the. To the operation. Um,
1: well, you know, you is, see what I said. I said for well, and this is cynical, uh-huh. but I said for the for the obligatory reveal of the master plot, so that our hero can find a way to blow it all up. Exactly. I mean, which is a, which is a staple of every Bond movie.
2: Yeah, it's you know? just like it's it's almost like the the you know someone's looking at their watch and saying like, hey guys, come on, we're we're an hour yeah. forty five minutes into this movie, we gotta move it along. That's my last trade mo- note, uh, tradecraft note uh, for the movie. As usual, uh, for a James Bond film, we're going to end with action. Uh, action is not really the, the purview of the point, the focus of discussion on Spies Like Us. So have you got any other tradecraft notes to make? Uh, oh, you know what, though? I will say, I'll, I'll just say this. I like the action at the end with the trucks. I thought it was really good. I thought too, this is the sort of thing I kind of wish I had seen in the theater with like a good sound system. I think it would have been really, really cool.
1: And lacing um, the cocaine with lacing the cocaine with gasoline ensures it's going to be not only flammable, but blow up. Right. He takes right.
0: those,
1: he takes those, he uh, destroys those tankers one by one. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Uh oh no, I did have a final note, which is okay, also again, like maybe we're just running out of time. But at the end, we just get a phone call from M and says, like, oh hey, by the way, John uh Bond, everything's forgiven. Like you're you're reinstated. For no reasons. For no reasons. Bond should be in so much trouble at this point. Well, he hasn't done anything to
1: redeem himself. Especially with that original M. He would have just not tolerated that absolutely you got an agent killed james right Come on. you disobeyed orders and yeah all that stuff
0: agents please report for debriefing on this operation the director will see you now
2: fred star rating first of just how much we personally enjoyed the movie and then we'll talk about giving this thing a, a final tradecraft rating
1: how much okay. did you like this movie I liked it. I thought it was pretty good with a different premise of Bond going rogue. It brought in contemporary issues like the drug cartels and the Contras, but still managed to keep it light with bits of camp, like the bar fight um, and the seduction of Wade Newton, along with Bond water skiing behind a seaplane. Um, an, un- an unexpected delight was watching Q's little boy enthusiasm and excitement about being in the field with Bond as well as the disappointment on his face whenever Bond dismissed him. Um, I thought Bouvier's acting left much to be desired as she delivered hokey line after hokey line. Loopy's character wasn't that good either. Um, The film's underwater scuba scenes with fights, spear guns, air hose ripping, and mini submarines took a few pages out of Thunderball, which um, was okay by me. And uh, like you said, the action scenes were good. So, yeah, I gave it a thumbs up. All right. What I want, though, is a number between one and five, if you can. Okay. Uh, Three and a half. Three and a half.
2: I'm just a little bit underneath that with a three. I think it's a total solid three. Um, It's a very, it's a much more grounded James Bond that I'm used to in the pre-Craig era. A much more grounded villain a lot of good characters a lot of things actually going on that kind of makes sense and advance the plot um also uh carrie lowell with apologies for my male gaze i do have one and uh she did deliver uh what i'm looking for in just eye candy um and the final action scene was pretty damn good uh yeah solid three for me right down the middle um Tradecraft wise, we're gonna talk about our top three best and worst. Uh Fred, you've gotten better about keeping it down to three. <laughs>
1: I could have gotten more because, because, like you said, like you said, this one was loaded with tradecraft.
2: Right? It was. It was. For a bond film. A little bit of grading on a curve there. For yeah. a bond film. It's not Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy over here. No. Um, but uh of the worst tradecraft I saw, Sanchez trusting Lupe to go talk to Bond, just really huge red flag to me. Like, what the fuck is going on? My number two worst is the way the manner in which Bond tried uh resigned when you know he just just could have walked away, just not got on the plane. It was like right there in front of him. Um and my number one worst, I just that whole sequence where he raids Crest's boat. And just doesn't seem to have any kind of plan of of what to do. Didn't didn't work for
1: me. What about you? What did, what were your uh, worst tradecraft notes? Okay. Number three, Bond telling Sanchez that he used to be a British agent. Number two, Bond and Pam using their real names at first. And number one, Sanchez dealing, I stole this from you. Sanchez dealing directly and personally with the triad heads rather than having middlemen to insulate himself for security and legal reasons.
2: That probably should have been on my list too. Yeah. Yeah. You're right on that. Uh, over on my best, uh, trade craft, um, the donation project as, as money laundering, I thought is pretty innovative and I think it, it works. Yeah, yeah. it works. As far as I can tell. Um, The Using the plastic explosives to defeat the bulletproof glass, uh, I thought was clever, but my number one, easily, and it's complicated and I don't want to go back and explain it all together, but the big lie that Bond tells Sanchez at the point in the movie where he tells him is so perfect, it accomplishes so many objectives.
1: Creates uh, the seeds
2: of doubt. And it's just exactly the kind of thing that I don't expect to see when I settled down for a James Bond film, what did you think were the best trade credits? Well, and that
1: was Shades of Spy Who Came In from the Cold, how they subtly created those seeds of doubt with the East German. That was beyond subtle. Yeah. All right. Number three, Bond sneaks to the roof of the hotel and uses a grappling line to rappel down, planting explosives in the window of Sanchez's office in adjoining conference room. I know you like that, too. Um, That's on my list. Number two, Q's tradecraft of designing the camera gun with the optical palm readout that ensures only Bond can fire it, pays off when the ninja Bond is fighting and tries to use it on him. And number one, um, the way Bond plants seeds of doubt with Sanchez about the loyalty of his men like Crest and Heller, along with getting Sanchez to believe that he is trying to prevent an assassination attempt on him rather than his real intent yeah the big lie the big lie it was
2: really good i was like i was like sitting up and taking note like is this wait a second is this a james bond movie i'm watching what up what's happening here
1: multi-layered
2: right yeah 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 so um yeah so uh park bench rating jeez i didn't i didn't preload this one so i'm gonna have to go and look at uh some i think i'm just gonna compare now park bench rating that's again another one to five This has nothing to do with how much we like the movie. This is just how accurate do we think this is of of representing what real spies do in the actual real world of intelligence. It's a Bond film, so it's probably going to land pretty low. But I want to compare it to just some of the previous Bond films, which I think... um, Let me see. Let me sort sort this. Should have done this before, of course. Um, I think Russia with love from Russia with love. The Sean Connery, 1963 film, uh, is our high watermark for bond films. Uh, might not, that might not be including the Daniel Craig films, which I think also rate kind of high. Um, that, that one we gave a 2.5. Um, I think it's worth at least that. But I think I might not want to go all the way to a three because I think that maybe just gives James Bond, as a concept,
1: a little too much legitimacy. Um, so Plus, the I, great, the great irony is, it's not a typical James Bond because it's not a sanctioned mission; it's a revenge, going rogue, really, kind of a thing. That's
2: that's right, and that's also like kind of bullshit. Right.
1: <laughs> right. Although, ironically, so that- they get in a lot of multi-layered, as we said, realistic contemporary things in that rogue mission, too. So it's mm-hmm. kind of complicated to classify this and compare it to the typical Bond, because it's not a typical Bond. But in some ways, that makes it better, too. So, yeah.
2: I think it's a 2.5 with honors. Okay. With, with right. honors and, and appreciation for a, for a good try at, at making Bond a little bit more realistic.
1: Okay. All right. Yep. Cool.
0: Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the song's Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and Sound Effects from Freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.